White Hot Magazine, one of the leading platforms and institutions for contemporary art. Because I was involved in covering and podcasting with Ralton Fider over the last while, um, I started to research where he was showing and his gallery, Pulpo Gallery, uh, came on my radar and I became more interested in who was behind Pulpo Gallery. And I met Katerina and Nico Zeifung, the owners and um, directors of Polpo Gallery. And uh, it's a gallery located in the Bavarian Alpine foothills in the artist town of Murnau, with its beautiful lake and moor landscape, old farmhouses with fresco paintings and romantic old fishing villages. And uh, they call it the blue land there for its picture-perfect natural setting. The area was frequented by Kandinsky and others. And uh, their gallery showcases young and emerging talents alongside blue chip artists from their permanent collection. So I wanted to talk to them about their gallery and about their Ralton Fighter connection today on the White Hot Magazine Art World Podcast. I'm your host, Noah Becker. So uh, I have some lovely guests today, Nico and Katerina from Pulpo Gallery. And uh, your gallery is located in Bavaria in Germany, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. We are based here more now in the south of Munich. Uh, beautiful landscape and it's an old artist town. And um, yeah. We feel that uh, that's a great place to uh, present art. And it's got, it's got a lot of, of history. I mean, thank you for having us, Noah. It's, mm. it's really great to be on your podcast. Um, yes, you know, it's, it's a town where Vasily Kandinsky and Gabriele Münter and the entire Blue Rider movement, um, you, you know, started a long time ago. And there's still a lot of signs around. There's a Kampendank Museum close by. There's another museum that has a lot of Ernst Ludwig Kirchner art. Um, but mm-hmm. For the past couple of decades, it's sort of, um, you know, fell asleep and it's only 40 minutes from Munich um, and we moved here with the family about one and a half years ago. Um, so for us, it's the perfect setting because people can come here, they can really spend time with us, spend time with our exhibitions and, you know, experience art in, in a very relaxed and beautiful setting. Mm. So it says that you're located in the Bavarian Alpine foothills in the artist town of Murnau, is that how you say it? Yeah, exactly. So that's the a small town, like two, 20,000 people live here. And um, we have, it's called the Blue Land. Uh, that, um, that name is from the Blaue Reiter. Um, Blue Reiter, yeah. Blue Reiter. Um, they, uh, yeah, they established that name and People who live here, like us, they they feel that it's a very special surrounding and a very special light, uh, um, especially for artists who who work here. 
Hmm. And you know, it's 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 location-wise, it's great because it's like 40 minutes to to the Neuschwanstein Castle. It's like 25 minutes to the Alps, to the Zugspitze, which is the highest mountain in Germany. 40 minutes, you're in Munich. There's an international airport. There are tons of stuff going on. Um, so for us, it's really, you know, we figured um, it's much better to be here than in Munich. A, it's easier for us because, um, you know, even though by now we have a couple of people working for us in the gallery, we still have three little kids, so we can't just commute back and forth and back and forth. But also it really gives us an opportunity to invite people over here to, to a setting where they get to spend more time with our gallery program than if they come to Munich and they want to see five galleries and two museums in a day and then they have a dinner appointment with somebody else. And, you know, it just ends up like when I come to New York City and I try to see 15 galleries and two museum shows in a day. Yeah, so that's part, that's part of the strategy of the, of the gallery uh, that we present our artists and the art. Um, yeah, as Nico said, in a very relaxed and um, um, yeah, special way that people can really uh, spend time with us, can spend time with the, the exhibitions. And yeah, we, we think then that's a different kind of experience. And that's, that's what's about it with Pulpo Gallery. So we want to create a special environment and create um, emotions or, or give the opportunity to, to feel the emotions um, which come with the arts. What's behind the name? Pulpo? Is that how you said? it? Yeah, Pulpo. It's, it, it, it's very simple. Um, I mean, most galleries are named after their owners um, and we didn't want to do it because um, you know, I, I personally, I have an online advertising background and uh, with two wonderful partners, um, we built a pretty successful company over here in, in Germany that became a market leader worldwide in its, um, in its niche. Um, and we had always been low key. We never, we never went for press and we were always like, you know, it's, it's more about the product, not so much about the press. And for the gallery, we also didn't want to put our family name out there and get the family name um, into the spotlight but rather, you know, put the artists, put the program and put the surroundings first. So we were looking for a more generic name that, you know, potentially can also outlast us. And, you know, somebody else might take over the gallery at some point. Um, and, you know, it can still continue under that brand. So we were looking for a name that sort of works in many, uh, in many languages and many cultures. And at the end of the day, it was Pulpo we ended up with uh, because it's uh, most most languages can pronounce the name. Um, originally, the logo was also like a splash of a splash of ink with ink running down, which were the tentacles of of the octopus. Um, and yeah, that's the, 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 the humble beginnings. And um, you know, we, we started that way. Everybody asks us the question, so it might not have been the best pick for a gallery, but um, yeah, I guess it's out there now, so we'll continue we to, <laughs> yeah, to stick to it. I connected with you entirely through one of your artists, the artist named Ralton Fider. Yes. Uh, yeah. I wasn't aware of you before my uh, meeting Ralton Fider, and I'm curious how you would connect with an artist that has an anonymous identity. I guess the sure. same way that I would, but I don't know. It was pretty simple. I mean, we, you know, we, um, 
maybe to give you a bit more background, um, we come from, you know, we come from a collecting background. We have been collecting for more than a decade. And when we moved here, we, you know, had the idea of finding an exhibition space for, um, for our permanent collection to showcase it, um, open it up to the public. Also like many collectors, I mean, some of the works, you know, we purchased, especially during the pandemic, they, they went to storage. We could never see them. We just saw them on JPEGs and, you know, we're running out of walls. So we wanted to, to, to exhibit them to also be able to see them ourselves. So we're looking for an exhibition space uh, for quite some while and couldn't really, really find something suitable until, until the pandemic hit. And um, over here, right in the market street, um, a great, a great property became available and we you know were lucky enough to to purchase it and since it was in this market street setting um you know easily accessible by public transport we said why just do an exhibition space why not do you know two things we love have an exhibition space for our permanent collection but also do um commercial shows for for artists and you know represent artists because that's what we really enjoy to spend time to talk with artists learn about their practice, learn about the thinking behind their works and, you know, why they're doing what they're doing. So we had that opportunity, we bought the space and, um, you know, after that we had to get started. So um, we started setting the program. Our first artist was um, Jorge Galindo, who put on a wonderful opening exhibition with us. Um, and then we had another exhibition planned um, like four and a half weeks later, which is the one that's currently running, which is non-commercial called Rebirth of Venus. And then, um, you know, this, this persona called Rotten Fighter appeared on Instagram and we were both just, you know, like lightning struck us. We, we really connected to his work. We were fascinated. And after two days, we, you know, we dropped him an email, like, you know, we think what you're doing is really special. You're, you know, connecting the NFT world to the fine art world. Um, it's unlike anything uh, we have seen these past couple of months. We want to do a show with you. Are you okay to do a, um, a physical show with us? And he responded, "Yes, you know, I'm, I'm all up for that. I'm more than happy, um, you know, to create a dialogue with you guys and with other artists to do something um, for the history books." So we had to fit him in, and you know, we, we fit him in between those two shows. That's also why his physical show only ran for for two weeks and we started this exchange with him, which by now amounts to, I don't know, 200 emails or more. Um, it's been very enlightening. And yeah, that's how, how all of that got started. And was he communicating with you with a uh, voice altering software or was he using his real voice? You know, you're the only one I think that has talked to him so far. We never talked to Rotten by yeah. now. Really? It was always via email or a messenger or something. So it was always in written form, um, which I guess for us, first of all, I think it's it's okay because written form, you know, he's very sophisticated when it comes to the art world. He has decades of art world experience. He has obviously spent a lifetime studying artists and philosophy behind their works and um, so far, you know, it personally gave me also the opportunity because I was the one doing most of the communication with him to read up on some of the concepts that he mentioned because not all of them um, had been known to me um, because, you know, I live art, but I don't have an art historian background. Um, and also English is not our, our, native, our native tongue. So um, for us, written was always like the easy one. We could, you know, we could get together, discuss, um, and then, um, you know, produce an email. 
Right. So yeah, we've we've never we've never spoken to him. It's always been in written form. But the um, history that he has is fairly recent and fairly NFT and Instagram uh, centric in a way. Like there's not like 20 years of history of Ralton Fider on the internet or anything. I just found it kind of wild that you, okay, well, I find it wild that you never talk to him and that <laughs> he has very little paper trail, but then all of a sudden, maybe it's just symbolic of the times we're living in. I don't know. Yeah. And one thing to add is that the, the, the way, the way he's writing gave gave us the feeling that it's really reliable and we yeah. really feel connected through the through the email so you know you can drop an email like just a few words but the emails um Ralton sends us were so to the point and so you know we, we um with emotions filled with emotions that we never doubted about the yeah uh, doubted intentions, about his yeah. intentions never otherwise we wouldn't have done it because um for us it was very stressful to, <laughs> to send up a show within you know three weeks right. and 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 to a program and do the marketing and whatever so so yeah and you know i i think as someone having spent like you know three really intense um yes yeah, it's about three months or so um with him there's so much more to his work than you know most people see i think a, a lot of people have been reducing him to the to the familiarity that some of his works evoke and honestly i don't think that doesn't do him justice at all because i think that familiarity is a tool for him and it, It's a tool that has worked very well because it drew many fine art people to his work in the first place. I mean, you know, Cherry Saltz was was one of the people tweeting about one of his early NFTs. And I think it was people might have brought NFTs to the masses with his, um, you know, major auction record. But I think it was Rotten's accomplishment uh, to introduce the fine art world to NFTs before the people auction. And, you know, given how slow that that art world moves, it's quite an accomplishment. And that's like you said, I mean, it's, it's, it started as an Instagram persona and we all know how you use Instagram. I mean, every post has what, like 20 milliseconds of attention. So you have this very short time frame to grab the attention of, of the viewer, of the user. And I think the familiarity in his works manages to do that. So, you know, you, you put your finger on it, you stop and you actually look at the work and you might be reading what he writes on it. Even though a lot of people we have communicated with, they only looked at the pictures, they never saw what he wrote beneath them. And I think that's really what you need to do. I mean, there's, you know, if, if, if you look at his works, if you look at his, at the concepts behind his work, it's so broad. And even if you want to reduce it to the, to the main themes he discusses, You have this informational discrepancy that he talks a lot about, like the discrepancy between the old fine art world and this new crypto art world, um, where he says it's this discrepancy that allows people or that allows for great art to happen. And I think that's that's a gap he is trying to bridge. And it becomes obvious in, you know, just for example, if you look at his untitled Our Cryptos Are Liquid, the work with the baby in the background. Um, you know, you have that slogan, our, our cryptos are liquid, which obviously 
represents the crazy wealth that a lot of these crypto kids have amassed. And it's displayed against the backdrop of a baby, which is representing this huge gap, in this case, age-wise between Rotten and those you know, newcomers from the crypto world, between most people in the fine art world and those newcomers of crypto world. And you know, we see them coming into the market and dropping crazy sums of money on NFTs, like in the people case, even though I think that was a marketing um, exercise. But also, you know, crypto people are underbidders on a 12 million euro or 12 million pound um, flower thrower by Banksy, which I think was an addition of 25, which, um, you know, you hadn't seen previously. So I think that's, you know, one of the topics he discusses a lot. And then he's also very not concerned, but, you know, it's um, he's discussing a lot about this seismic shift of power and the behavior of the crowd, which we are experiencing. And he, he's documenting that how, you know, I think he also briefly talked to you about that in the podcast, how this, this crowd behavior in such an ultra connected world where via, I don't know, Telegram, Signal, uh, Reddit, you can, you can connect with, you know, thousands or hundreds of thousands of people out there. It, you know, started with the Arabic Spring, but it's, it's getting, the world is getting more and more connected. And I think he documents that like, like nobody else is, is game stopped you know, which, which documents the reward against Wall Street where essentially a, a Reddit community brought down hedge funds that required um, bailout money. And, you know, from an outside perspective, I think fundamentally the hedge funds were right. Uh, there's no way GameStop should have had that market cap, but it was this crowd behavior that, um, you know, brought them down. And that's what he, what he thinks a lot about also philosophically, when we talked about the installation of, of his physical works in the gallery, we discussed with him how we should display the apes, the nuke, direct um, ape, etc. And, you know, he, he basically right away brought up Animal Farm and he said, you know, it's all men are enemies, all animals are comrades. And we need to urge the viewer to think about this, this tight-knit community, this crowd behavior that's, that's behind the rise of crypto. And I think it's you know, the, the past 15 or maybe 18 months, the world as we know it has transformed at a speed that to our generation was unknown and that even like our parents, I mean, we are in our late thirties. Mm. Uh, my wife is having her birthday party tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's unknown to us. And I think we have probably the, the advances in technology and in also the transformation right. in how our society works has probably been worth a decade in the past year. And I, I'm surprised he is one of the few artists really able to, to document that because most artists we look at, they moved from bright and happy colors to dark colors because it obviously was a right. dark period in, in, in the life of many people, especially artists that spend a lot of time in their studio, often in solitarity, you know, they're, they're alone. But he's really he's really connecting that. And I think that's the third theme we see in most of his works is that he is trying to archive and document um, what our society stands for this very moment. And if you listen to or read his oral history interview, which, you know, clearly is, um, I mean, he is, he is a conceptual artist, it clearly is a very strong reference to Elaine Sturtevant and to her oral history interview. Um, you know, he calls himself an, an historian, an archiver without being his weapon of choice. 
And I think that's right. And, you know, we saw some of that at the beginning, the more we exchanged emails with him, read up on some of his concepts, right. the more our conviction grew. And for us, it was, it was very obvious, we, we need to do it. It's, um, right. you know, I, I told my wife actually, you know, I, I sent him that email and he said, okay, let's do it. And I came back to my wife and I was like, Kati, I'm sorry, I need to confess. There's one artist I felt more convicted than probably ever in my life about. And I promised him a show in between our first two shows. And, you know, I was expecting like, okay, I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna have a really tough time the upcoming days. And she was like, show me. And I showed her and she was great, let's do it. Hmm. Yes, I've had conversations with Ralton that are not podcasts as well, just private conversations, but uh, he always uses the voice altering uh, machine. Yeah. But very sophisticated guy. And there's been a lot of controversy about him lately with Kenny Schachter and Ryder Rips and the whole situation there, which was well covered the last week or so. <laughs> True um, that. And you're doing a show with him in New York, is that? Exactly. And, um, you know, that had been planned for quite some while. Um, the, originally, we wanted to announce it um, during our physical show, but then as we know, he was off for, um, you know, for personal and for health uh, reasons. So we couldn't do it. But now that he is that he's back, we announced it. Um, and yeah, it's about it's about the, the treachery of things. I mean, I, I think in his first podcast with you, if I remember correctly, you just you briefly touched on the, the treachery of images and the treachery of reality. Um, you know, treachery of images, obviously being being, uh, you know, that famous work by Magritte that most people know as this is not a pipe, um, where he, you know, discusses how it's just a representation. Can you actually stuff that pipe? No, you can't because it's a picture. And, you know, a lot of philosophy around that. Uh, Michel Foucault, which um, I also think is, has, been a, has been a great influence on, on, on Walton and his works. And, you know, we discussed the New York show and what we wanted to do. And it's, it, it started from discussing the, the Magritte work uh, the, uh, the treachery of, um, of images. And he quickly said, you know, I, I feel our, our current world is quickly becoming a, a treachery of all things. We have those engineered, those fake news that, um, you know, might have elevated a US president to his presidency, um, even though he, he always complained about it. We have right. engineered human beings, we have robots, um, we have drones going to war. We no longer have real people going to war. We have engineered currencies, um, which you know are becoming more and more dominant, and especially in some countries, becoming you know the the first the first choice of currency. And we also have this engineered land in the crypto world, which which is coming back. I mean, there was a second life. Um, I don't know, five, six, maybe seven years ago, and it's becoming more and more real and. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a very important concept um, that, you know, he's covering well and his, his works, the ones we have announced already and put on the website, um, they reflected very well. And we had a lot of philosophical discussions about them. I, I don't want to go too deep because um, I also had to read up a lot on it to, you know, to just scratch the surface. Right. But one of the philosophers we talked about was, uh, was, was Jean Baudrillard, um, who, who wrote about simulacra, simulation, and especially the, the hyper-reality back in, I don't know, 1981, 82, um, where, you know, he said it's, 
it's um, this hyper-reality, there's this copy without an original that's becoming more and more dominant. And I think that's that's all too fitting in the past in the past couple of, of, of months. I mean, in-person meetings, in-person conversations, went to Zoom, they went online. I read somewhere that at the peak, there was more than half of the world's population was in lockdown. I mean, that's you know the biggest the biggest social experiment we have probably ever experienced. And you know, shaking hands and kissing people um, to say hello, like you know, you do especially in in, in France or in Switzerland, um, has been replaced by just sending bits and bytes across uh, you know across um, fiber optics. So it's it's. I think it's fascinating how a philosopher um, almost 40 years ago, um, you know, wrote down a concept that he was he was being attacked for people were laughing at, um, you know, such a long time ago, and it's it's becoming a reality in less than half a century. And I think we're going there. I mean, you know, Facebook bought bought um, what's it called, Ocul Ocular um, Oculus those, Rift, you know, Oculus Rift, exactly those lenses. Um, a couple of years ago, and they said it's going to be the future. And honestly, I, I think we're going there. I mean, more and more people are living online. Their life happens online. I think all of us, our smartphone usage has increased exponentially over the past decade. And we will see one industry after another being, being turned upside down. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think NFT is definitely a byproduct of people living online and seeing the value in what's on the computer or the smartphone in at at uh the same level or greater than they value physical things uh, absolutely and um, you know it's 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 one of those things that also you know we discussed when we talked about Foucault and Macrit they had this this fascination for heterotopias which they called words within words like you know tiny, let's call them sub-societies, like a ship when it's on the ocean for a long time, or a bar, which can be this word within a world for a night, or a prison, which, you know, if you go to prison for two years, it's your world within a world. And, you know, I was wondering, maybe maybe the NFT space is also such a heterotopia, such a world within a world that's, that's going to be there to stay. It's possible, yeah. I didn't really think of it that way, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, and so when you have openings at your gallery, I understand it's been a pandemic, but have you had any openings um, since the pandemic? Like where people come in in person? Yeah, we opened up in uh, end of April and um, with Jorge Galindo, and then we had like, like kind of a soft opening. And we invited people from here because nobody was allowed to travel. So we uh, weren't able, unfortunately, to do a the big party <laughs> we wanted right. to do. Um, do, you, do you get um, a lot of collectors and art world interested people coming in or, is, or are you more in touch with your collectors like from a distance? Or combination both. yeah both so both. as we come from an uh, from an online gallery of course we have um collector uh, collectors from all over the world um so we connect with them via email and phone but also people come over um the last two shows um more the most people who came were um artists that was very interesting for us because um 
we really enjoyed the conversations with them and um to, to get a feeling if we we are on the right way you know because we we haven't done that before we we just set up that gallery as nico said our background is is from another industry so my background is financial services and nico is from from the online advertising space so so for us that was uh, great to have people coming here but now as the borders are open and more people are allowed to travel um, we see that they they come and uh, they enjoy the shows we are doing because for us the focus is really on good quality so we we spend very much time on the composition and the on the curating side of our shows um i think that's that's uh, yeah people um appreciate that and um yeah that that's one one part yeah. of the visitors we we welcome and the other thing and that's very very um yeah impressive for yeah. me is that people here from Murnau come so we invited just randomly come over and see and those people most of them they are not into arts you know they're just random and they came and it was very funny because the first uh, exhibition we did with Jorge Galindo it was beautiful paintings but mm. the access to those kind of art was let's say easy because mm. you know it's it's it's, it's pleasing for the eye it's pleasing <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was a great success, but it, we, we weren't surprised. And then came Ralton, mm. and I was like, you know, I had um, stomach ache the day before. I said to Nico, oh, wow, what, what shall we do? What shall we tell them? And then people came over that night, and um, of course, we need to introduce them to that world, because none of them heard about nft before and none of them was um uh, felt safe in the space of appropriation art uh, some of them never heard about that about that uh, word but then we took the time and invited them to learn with us um and it was a great great pleasure to see how people get the access to that world through Rolton's artwork. So I think that he illustrates some high philosophy, philosophical theories, and he illustrates them. And he allows us through his artworks um, to understand. And wow. that's, and that's um, very, I appreciate that very, very much. And I think that's outstanding. Do you um, have uh, an idea that you might show more NFT artists, like just, a, you know, the way they have them on screens at the auction houses? Or... We're talking to, uh, we're talking to some, um, maybe just to, to add one more, one more group of visitors that, that we have seen and that we have been quite a bit surprised about, but which was really pleasing. Um, was we saw a lot of a lot of people that um, you know come from institutions in in Munich and that have been running museums or are still running museums, and they came here on vacation and they just stumbled across the gallery, and you know it was great if you see somebody that was heading a really renowned institution close by for twenty plus years, and he walks in and he says, you know honestly, 
that's pretty much better than any gallery I've seen in Munich in the past couple of years, which is great for us because obviously like, you know, not being placed in New York City or being placed in London or even Paris, we know it's going to be a long shot. We need to educate people and we need to draw the people to our place. Um, so that's been great. But coming back to your NFT question, um, I think there's great art happening in that space. What I'm personally, or both of us personally, are still a bit unsure about is the presentation. I'm still having a hard time. How do you want to present it? It was with Rotten, it was great because there were physical works and um, you know they were really high quality. This was you know state of the art uh, artwork. But um, if you have like you know animated stuff. It's it's too short oftentimes to be a video work which you could display in a video setting, um, so I think that's that's the main challenge we still all have to have to overcome. Um, and quite honestly, we have we've talked about it a lot. We have been thinking about it a lot. We haven't yet found the solution. I mean, you know, some people yeah. do the combination. They have NFTs and they have prints of it, um, but you know, yeah. some stuff works good on prints, others doesn't. Um, once it's animated, some people have short video. But you're close running. to what did they call it? That castle that Walt Disney based. Neuschwanstein. You're close to the castle that Walt Disney based with the Walt Disney castle on, right? Yeah. So you could do yes. like a pop up show in there or something, right? I don't know. Well, it would probably take about 10 years of, <laughs> of trying to get a permission just to be denied. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, it's a great idea, but we have a ton right. of those castles. That's and, where um, Mickey Mouse lives, right? Exactly, exactly. That's why they are protecting it. <laughs> right. We don't know who Mickey is. He sp speaks with a voice changing device. Um, so I was going to say, when you think that, <laughs> do you think that Rudin lives close by in New uh, He could, yeah, he oh. could, he must live in, in the oh, Disneyland yeah. castle. Then, oh yeah, that's, that's great story. Yeah, him, and should, Paul, should, him and Paul McCarthy live in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. Paul McCarthy for sure. <laughs> Honestly, that's the, that's the most funny uh, rumor we heard so far. So that's good. Let's, let's, yeah. let's say that one. Right. We'll stick with that. Um, and when you go to New York, where are you going to show uh, this work? It's it's going to be a pop up gallery. We haven't we haven't settled on the final location yet, um, but we're planning to do one or two shows a year in, in New York City. Um, at the beginning, certainly as a pop up, um, you know, with some of the people from the gallery here coming over there, and you know, some help from local people. Um, we're, we're going to do it, um, you know, when there's auction week, um, and obviously everybody's there. So, um, mm -hmm. it makes sense. You can, you can meet people. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's going to be in one of the art districts, uh, but we haven't settled on a space yet. Even though I know right now is the perfect time to settle on a space because, um, you know, people are flocking back to New York. Yeah. And also I think Miami's gonna, yeah, Miami's gonna actually happen. Um, I don't know if you ever go to Miami. Yeah, it's it's, it's gonna do good. I talked to a to a collector um, two two nights ago. Um, uh, she placed one of one of Jorge Galindo's wonderful flower works uh, with a collector, and um, you know, freight rates from Europe to the U.S. are crazy right now because the U.S. still won't let people from Europe in without quarantining for two weeks. Right. Um, so there's not a lot of flights going. And you know, she was like, "Let's let, let let's wait with shipping until until our bars in Miami happens." And uh, you know, we can we can combine it with some other works going to to our Basel. 
Right. Right. Well, that's good. Um, so have you done art fairs in the past or is that new to you? Some of the people working for us have done them, um, but for us, we have seen some as visitors, but uh, we haven't exhibited um, so far because, you know, we, we just started, we, we, we opened during the pandemic. So uh, <laughs> art first were the least of our priority. And I think for us, it was good. I mean, you know, we, we come from an online background. Our first, our very first exhibition was an online only exhibition actually, um, right at the beginning of the pandemic, which was received very well. Um, so, you know, for us, the access was sort of easy and we are doing the reverse of what most galleries are doing these days. They are moving online and trying, you know, to, to get into that space. We come from that space. So we are, we are learning the brick and mortar business from scratch, um, which is great. I mean, uh, you know, as, as collectors, I think we have, we have oftentimes underestimated the work that galleries out there are doing and um, our appreciation for how tough it is to be a gallerist, how many things you have to do at the same time, how long your hours are, um, you know, to basically just break even. Um, it, it's crazy and our admiration for, for every single gallerist out there has really grown tremendously over the past couple of months. Mm. So you have a lot of plans for the next little bit. Yeah, we have more than enough. Um, we are hiring. We need people. We need more people. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. And and you know that's for us. It's like we feel that it's an advantage for us that um, the market changes a bit, and also the um, yeah the fair fairs change a bit. So people are discussing. And yeah, for us, it's good to 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 get into that world uh, during a time of change because then we can find the right place for Pupu Gallery within that market and place that in our sense and with our philosophy so that's very important for us. Mm -hmm. And what do you uh, I guess it's what seven o'clock at night there right now? Yeah Germany? almost yeah. Uh, and you're gonna you already had dinner? No. no. <laughs> okay so you're gonna have you're gonna have dinner my mother-in-law is here. Um, she's she's taking care of uh, of the kids right now. <laughs> so we have a quiet hour. Otherwise, right. it'd be mayhem here. <laughs> right. And you're both vegan. Nope. <laughs> oh, you're not. Um, so you um, are having a good time there in in Bavaria. I think I. Yeah. Amazing. It's, I've I've never been there, but um, to... it has some of the most picturesque photos of lakes and mountains and. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's really that's really amazing. Yeah, I mean it's very tiny. When you come from the US, everything is so tiny. I mean Europe, you know, split it into I don't know how many countries, and then Germany, and then you have that part of Bavaria, and then we have the south of Bavaria next to the Alps. But it's it's great, you know. We enjoy that every day. We have that view to the mountains, to um, like the Zugspitze with them. Mm -hmm. 3,000 meters. So well, I was just fascinated that you have a gallery in that area. I've, I've, it's kind of an unexpected area, but your um, cura curatorial um, values seem to speak louder than your physical location and um, kind of internationalize what you're doing. Well, we hope so. And, you know, for us, we are also planning, you know, all of the artists we exhibit and, you know, we have an exciting program coming up. 
Um, we want to give them the opportunity to also come here, learn about the place, experience the place. And, um, you know, so I think it's really, for us, it's more about, about quality, quality of the visitors, quality of the artists, quality of the time we can spend with people. And, you know, I, I, I love New York City, but I always go through, through the same, uh, I don't know, through the same cycle. Every time I come to New York, I take a cab from the airport, I see the skyscrapers and I'm thinking to myself, why don't I come here more often? And I usually go there right. once a year. And I already know the answer. And then three days later, I take the cab back to the airport and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so happy I'm out of this noisy, right. smelling city. <laughs> so it's, right. it's always, I, I need it. Like I need my fix once or twice a year, but I'm always also happy to go back to the, <laughs> to the Yeah, quiet. there are those moments when you're in New York City for long periods of time, for years on end. And, and you just think to yourself, why do we live here? Yeah, <laughs> well, it's a great city. I mean, the quality of, you know, cultural food, everything is, is amazing. And it's such, it's so dense on such a tiny area of land. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's great. I love it. But I also really, especially, you know, if you have kids and family life mm -hmm. on the countryside or in the countryside. is, is, is well, The thing I always like about New York is that it keeps unfolding and unfolding. And it always has some surprises, even if you're there for long periods Definitely. of time. Definitely. Um, so thanks for joining me today. It's been an honor to talk to you guys and it's, I've been really interested in some of your activities and, uh, let's be in touch over the next little bit. Thank you. Absolutely. Noah. thank you so much thank for having you, us. Noah. Enjoy your dinner. For getting up early. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I know yeah. West coast to Germany is always exactly. like the worst time difference. <laughs> All right. Talk to you shortly. Take thank care. You. Bye. 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 Bye